0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, metal, punk or even extreme metal. Uh, we're late, I, I will concede we're a late boy today, but it's fine we're here now, better late than never, etc. Coming up on this week's show, we've got all the latest news from the past week and I'll i will be real, it's been a quiet week, it's been a quiet week, um, but still all the latest news from this week. This is as well as any new music released. There's the big question that I posted on various social medias. Which band should perform next with an orchestral backing? This is on the back of bands like Me the Horizon, Metallica and more recently Bridge. And album reviews for this week come from King810, Weezer and Me the Horizon. But first, the news is ever. So... Odd one to start with, Nickelback bassist Mike Kroger has said that he would love to do a Slayer's Covers album. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Um, also did I say Slayer or Slayers? I'm gonna hope I said Slayer. Um, before going no, after he said he wants to do a Slayer's Cover album, he went on to say that he the whole band are big four fans, obviously Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth, very almost forgot Megadeth, Dave will be really pissed off. Um, yes, said Nickelback all fans of the big four, and he and drummer Daniel Adair like to geek out on bands such as Meshuggah, Gejira, Lamb of God, and Animals as Leaders. Bit of a jump there from Meshuggah, Gejira, L.O.G., and then Animals as Leaders, but still. This obviously struck people in various ways, because it's really cool to hate on Nickelback, and I'll be honest, I'm one of those people, despite the fact that some of the songs are absolute jams. So I kind of get why <clears throat> initially there were, excuse me, initially there were like um op- opposement to this saying that that'd be a ridiculous idea, you can't have a band like Nickelback try and do Slayer's covers album, but Sl- Slayer, fucking hell, Nickelback kind of do have a, a heavy side to them. Um Look at songs like Because of You, I can't remember a Nickelback album, cover- album names you'd have to forgive me, but... Because of you, Side of a Bullet, Side of a Bullet was very confrontational because it's all about um, the shooting of back Daryl. Burn It to the Ground, I'm a little bit like, I'll admit, it was a theme song for WWE Raw for a while, so I do have a soft spot for it. It's kind of like To Be Loved by Papa Roach, some top quality music there. Um, yeah, Because of you, Side of a Bullet, Burn It to the Ground, even the last Nickelback album, Feed the Machine, had a lot of people questioning whether or not it was Gent, which... Weird thing, a weird word to associate with Nickelback, but you know, so it's not completely daft. Um, I don't think Chad Kroger's voice would suit. I imagine, like, which side of a bullet it was, and because of you, it was a little bit more shouty, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm keen to see how vocally the other members of the band are, because as we'll go into later on with the Weezer album, their guitarist did leads for one of the songs in the latest album and it fit that role for the song much better than Rivers Cuomo would have done. So i will be interesting to see if Mike, Daniel and t'other one, which I don't know because I didn't write it down. be interesting to see what they're like vocally to see if they could do it. So, who knows? It's something that I don't mind waiting on, but if it came out, I would definitely listen to. I don't know what that means, but we'll leave it like that. Um, Apparently, and this is it's a weird news week, actually. Apparently, Brian Johnson has rejoined ACDC. The source for this is Terrorizer, like long-standard grindcore band who came back about... Oh, I was going to say recently. I'm pretty sure that, that album came out 2011. So, after about a 20-year break. So, Grindcore veterans, Terrorizer, posted on Instagram a caption that read, we ran into Brian Johnson from ACDC um, at the airport today after a flight home, and we asked him about the rumors on him being on the new ACDC album. He said yes, and that he is sick, and, sick of denying it, so that was a cool surprise to end the tour. Um, it's saying as well the band has kind of been up in the air after he was forced off the recent Rock or Bus tour, and doctors were telling him that if he stayed on stage, he would be risking like, permanent hearing loss. And so Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses filled in for him and finished all the tour. And since then, it's been heavily rumoured that Rose was going to be the lead singer for the next ACDC album. So I don't know where we are with that. It's all rumours, nothing has been confirmed uh, publicly by Akadaka or Brian Johnson, but... You know, I would still be super interested to find out what an Axle Fronted AC/DC sounds like. I never even looked at Live footage when they did go on tour, so maybe if they do bring Johnson back, maybe like an EP of all the Axle sessions, or just like a collaboration or something, I think that'd be really neat. I'm gonna drink tea now away from Mike because it annoys people, and it's the a squeaky share. Next bit of news, last bit of news. Grafham Fleet bassist Sam Kishka. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. They've popped up a lot recently, and it's a weird name. I really hope I'm getting that right. Sam Kishka has confirmed that the band planned to release a new album by the end of 2019. Uh, he told Australian Publication, Heavy Magazine, we were talking and I think we all decided at this month that we need to do a record as soon as possible. So the one thing I can say right now is that you can definitely expect album two in 2019. We're going to make the music that we want to hear and we're going to grow musically. This will be the follow up to 2018's Anthem of a Peaceful Dead. Which, despite early promises, apparently, a lot of people are comparing it to like Zeppelin and like OG 70s rock. It's not my kind of thing. Um, Yeah, it didn't really land as well as many were hoping. And it was very, excuse me, it was very Marmite from what I've heard. People either really, really adored it, or it was complete tripe. So, it's interesting that they said we're going to make music that we want to hear. Maybe some kind of label pressure, even fan pressure, got them to switch it up a bit too much on what they were paired for. So, who knows? They said, all I've got so far is new album by the end of the year. And you've got another 10 months left. So, yeah, there's not really much we can do at this point. Excuse me, I'm just dying a little bit. Um, and there's only one new song from that I could find from this week. While She Sleeps, I've released a new song called The Guilty Party. It's part of their new album, So What, coming out the 1st of March. I feel like quite a lot of albums coming out the 1st of March. It's going to be a very expensive day. I dig it. My favourite song that they've released so far is still Antisocial. I think that is a full-on whole raspberry jam of a song But I still did um, Guilty Party, the other one uh, that escaped my brain the second single they released I was really keen on at first, Haunt Me, there we go I was kind of keen on at first, but then it's just sort of like withered a bit, I think it might be because I just much prefer Guilty Party, I won't lie Got lots of woes in there, which is gonna be really good for live show, which I know um, Sleeps really really depend on, they've got a really good connection with the fans and I feel it's got a bit more of like a new metal sound to it now and like I said new metal will be making that revival for uh, quite a while now but it's never just out and out it's usually coupled with something so a new metal tinged like metallic hardcore sound might be really really good actually so you never know so far it sounded all right I'm still intrigued for the new album The one thing I will say is because of how Loz's vocals have changed over the past few albums because he did have to have vocal surgery and completely relearn how to sing. Now that they're doing that more trade-off between him and Matt, which all week I've been getting it wrong between who does the vocals for it. I'm looking at it and it says Matt. I really hope I got that right. But the trade-off between Loz and Matt is becoming hard and hard to tell the difference because their vocal styles are becoming quite similar at times. That's just me. I might be completely making it up, but this is why it's my podcast and not yours. So anyway, that's for the news and anything that's new and interesting for this week. Moving on to a question I posted on the various social medias. Just look for at DesolationPod on pretty much anything and you'll eventually find me. Which band should perform with an orchestral backing? And this all came from the fact that my friend at work started showing me the Dream Horizon live album, Live at the Royal Albert Hall. And it all started with the fact that with Ammo coming out, we've both been listening to it. it I'll, I'll go into more detail later. I was completely um, cynical about the album, purely because I didn't like That's the Spirit. There were good points on there, which I'll go into a bit more in a bit. But for the most part, wasn't for me. Couldn't get into it. And that's just Yeah, I just couldn't do it. So maybe made me a bit more hesitant for Ammo. And the singles for well, beat a bit up and down for me as well but this friend of mine really really enjoys that's the spirit and we we're discussing it discussing it discussing it and he thinks that the reason why that's a spirit changed from so much in his opinion is from this album uh that they did with parallax orchestra so i've been listening to it on and off at work and They've got an absolute mental flutist. He sounds like he's off his tits on cocaine, which I am all about. Not the cocaine part, bit about just him being mad. That's out of context. that sounds bad. And it uses predominantly songs from *That's a Spirit* and *Sent Perpetual* albums that already use a lot of their like symphonic sound or just like the high register synths and that kind of thing. Jordan Fish on those albums has done like a really great job adding that extra layer of sound to the band's existing sound. And if I'm going to be like an anarch about it, I would have liked more from there as A Hell. I think songs like Don't Go, Crucify Me and Home Sweet Hole would have really done well with um, that orchestral backing. I know that it never ends and it sounds fucking sweet. But the more I listened to this album, the more I was enjoying it and the more I couldn't stop making comparisons to the OG symphony and metal album, which was S&M by Metallica back in 99. I fucking adore that album. It's an album that I go back to quite regularly. Ended up being the final album with Jason Newstead. He would leave in 2001, eventually to be released, um, replaced by uh, Rob Trujillo. And I think it's interesting, because unlike That's a Spirit, which... Predominantly used two albums and just like a song off a third. Although hearing songs like "Tell Slate Not to Wash His Dick" and "Black and Blue" with the orchestra would be fucking hilarious. Metallica used a song from every single album they released up to that point, except "Kill 'Em All," which I think for similar reasons. The first album production wasn't nearly as good as it was, even though song like "Ride the Lightning." So they stuck to. The, i watched like documentaries about they stuck to songs that they thought would benefit well not just songs that are like big in their back catalog. so for instance Creepin' Death one of the biggest known um Metallica songs there are they didn't do it it would have been great but to their in their mind it wouldn't have done it justice to have that orchestra back and I'm reading the track listing over and over and I can't see it so I'm pretty certain that my assumption that's not on there and so As far as I'm aware, they'd never... Well, I'd say as far as I'm aware, they hadn't really done any sort of crossover or orchestral music before. The only time they really did was just musically, Cliff Burton, their second, third bassist, the big one that was there for Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, he was a massive classical music fan. And the way he played the bass, I've, again, read a lot of bio about him, watched a lot of uh, documentaries, and they say about how he liked to incorporate little classical music tropes into his playing. And so outside of that they never really combined like symphonic music with the Metallica sound. And for this album they ended up doing exactly that because not only did they combine their old music with this new orchestral flavor to it, they wrote two brand new songs specifically for the release. One would assume. I've never heard it. I've never heard either song without. So you've got No Leaf Clover, which was great. They even live. They use like little audio effects on the vocals to really add that '90s sinister vibe that they had at the time. They were trying to get the vibe. And then you had minus human, which I really enjoyed. Minus human. It's not. It's the worst out of the two, but that's not a bad thing. You know, you've got an al- um two albums like Master of Puppets and Black Album. They are both fantastic albums, but people are always going to choose one over the other. I don't know which way I'd go, actually. I was going to put my mind. Yeah, I don't know which one I'd go for. That's a story for the the day. But yeah, overall, I just fucking love this album. There's so much drama behind it. The size of the sound. It's so different when you have, like, programming as opposed to a literal orchestra to give you that, like, symphonic sound. Uh, Some songs do it better than others. Songs like Old Wolf of Man and Hero Do They sound fucking spectacular. Especially with Old Wolf of Man, given it's like lyrical content, the like sinister like werewolf kind of deal. To have that like spooky, uh, spooky or back and behind it, it just just tickles my phony bone something fierce. And here today just was screaming out for some kind of like violins in the background to make it even more emotional than those before. So what does a symphonic backing actually need to do if a band chooses to do it? It needs to add that new dimension to a band's sound. It needs to... Excuse me. It needs to make songs sound huge. That's the entire point of classical music. It's meant to be so dramatic and big and it's really hard to describe how to make music sound big but once you hear you kind of know what it is and it gives you a chance for the better end of musical performers to experiment with the songwriting so they can collaborate that their existing sound with more orchestral stuff like what metallica did with no leaf clover and Minus human so in the end i went with three options one that kind of catered for the sound the symphonic sound like um how bring me did uh using two albums that are predominantly like synth heavy and just replaced those synths with an actual orchestra uh the outsider choice i don't think anyone was expecting like metallica were on some shit in the 90s but i still don't think anyone expected them to do a symphonic metal album in the middle of it all and then last one was when i posted up on social medias this is the response I got it's a fucking good response and I've gone through and figured out why it'd be good or why it'd be bad it won't be bad because it's great so the catered choice the choice I feel like a band would do really well to not boost a sound but accompany more than boost if that makes sense Um, and there were a lot of options I've been listening like over the past few years been getting more and more into like post-black metal sounds That was where I first looked at and a uh, musician like Mirka who like compared to other bl- black metal bands so I looked at other ones I've listened to like Oathbreaker, Maul, uh, Death Heaven they do have that big swelling noise that does gr- that would do great with things like um, violins and a whole string section and a brass section but with Mirka having more folky bits already existing in her music and she has done I think it's called Mausoleum where it's just her recording with very Minimal to almost no instruments, I think it was like very very basic old Celtic string instruments or whatever it is. And having that kind of orchestral backing against Murica's like searing black metal, um, post black metal sound I thought would have done really well. I also looked at a symphonic death metal band called Flesh God Apocalypse. Mere purely because I think watching a orchestra trying to keep up would have been fucking hysterical. Like if you ever watch the s and DVD, them trying to keep up with songs like Battery and Master of Puppets is just butte. And the other band I looked at was Manowar, and that's purely for like soft heart reasons. Manowar were the band that got me into niche parts of music and niche parts of metal. So whereas before it was Metallica, they're a heavy metal band. Guns N' Roses, they're a hard rock band. Iron Maiden, they're a heavy metal band. I got shown Man and I looked at them and thought, well, looked them up, I was like, power metal? What the fuck is power metal? And the song that actually got me into, sorry, song, the album that got me into all that was Gods of War, where they themselves went full on with the symphonic elements. They'd like dipped in depth before, but this was a symphonic power metal album that they brought in. Sorry, T break. So, to hear, well, to hear and see the Gods of War album played in full with a full orchestra, backed on by, um... God, I can't remember his name! The fucking lead vocalist of, um or you can hold on a note for like 40 seconds because he's literally a maniac. Carl Logan, Joey Eric Adams! Why did I forget that? I promise they are one of my favourite bands. But that's not the point. I can remember everyone else, but not him, apparently. To hear that swell of like a string section backed on by Eric Adams, which I didn't forget, his voice, I think that'd be pretty neat. But in the end as you can probably tell with Man of War, although probably not because I can't remember his name, I am a huge sucker for power metal. And so after, like I said, Man of War, Gods of War, got me into that power metal phase, I guess you will, and I looked at more of the fact that all the other power metal bands I found didn't quite sound the same as what Gods of War was. Gods of War was a symphonic power metal album. That led me to a band that Joey DeMaio, the bassist of Manowar, War, was managing at the time, A band called Rhapsody of Fire and I've been a fan of them ever since. I uh, really I was gonna say adore but the last few albums have been kind of meh but I just really really enjoy Rhapsody. Um, They've already got but I was going through their back catalogue songs like Holy Thunder Force, Rise from the Sea of Flames and Unholy Warcry especially Unholy Warcry they already sound like they've got pocket orchestra with them at all times. And I was going through the albums. Most of the time they've got a violinist and a vocal choir and that's it. But just from having those two little bits, they make their sound so so fucking huge. And to give them that symphonic backing would just be fucking great. Or that a literal symphonic backing instead of on a keyboard and programmed. Because they are a band that like to tell stories in the music, they've had various sagas over multiple albums. So, um, first five six albums, it was The Emerald Sword, then it was A Dark Secret, and now with the new album coming out in next month, I think. No, this month. Shit. With the new album coming out next month, it's going to be start of what they're calling their... Oh, fuck. Nephilim's Empire Saga. Nephilim. Nephilim? Nephilim. Heffalump. That saga. They like to, they like to have concept across a stretch of many, many, many albums, because and that's what they do. And to have the, to have the orchestral backing would give those albums and those stories the best platform to be told. And on a more par- personal note, their star, even in my eyes, their star has declined over the past few years. They've lost um, Fabio Leone, Luca Tirilli... And Alex Holsworth, the vocal, lead vocalist, lead guitarist, and drummer, respectively, over the past few years. And the guys they brought in aren't bad. I think with the latest song from the Eighth Mountain, one coming in a couple of weeks, I really enjoyed it. it "Rainy Fury," I really enjoyed it. In fact, ironically enough, I think the, work, the part that let down the album the most was maybe even the keyboards, and that's from. Alex Staropoli, he's been in the band since day one. So they've got a completely new cast outside of him. And I think a full Orchestra Back Live album would give that new lineup a chance to show people that they're not just holding the name up, they are deserving of the Rhapsody of Fire moniker because strip away an entire band and you just got one person left. Yes, yeah, some cases it does work. Like, you've got Cradle of Filth, that is Danny Filth's band. Same with Guns of Roses. Inevitably, that's always going to be Axl Rose's band. But they are key, iconic frontmen that you always recognise. Guaranteed, the most casual Rhapsody of Fire um, fan will probably recognise Leonie Altarilli more than they will um, recognise Staropoli. It's the classic case of the singer and the guitarist always gets more girls than the keyboardist. It sucks, but life sucks. Get on with it. So yeah, that'd be choice number one for me. Um, as more chaos sound to like bolster what they already have. The outsider choice, so the metallic choice for me would be again, gotta play to my heartstrings here, Frank Carr and the Rattlesnakes. They're somewhere. Exists a show around 2009, it was on the back of Great Britain when Frank was still in Gallows. Gallows performed a set like a short, I think, like 40 minute set with like eight members of an orchestra, and they performed certain songs from Great Britain. To my knowledge, the footage, the sound, All of that, all the files, have never been released formally, publicly. And it hurts me. It hurts me deep down. It hurts me emotionally. This is why I don't smile, because I have not seen this footage or heard this sound. Because I honestly feel those two things together, one of my favourite bands of all time, plus an orchestral background, would sound fucking stellar. It did it when... Metallica did it. So I'm still mild, well, I'm not mildly, I'm very, very hurt by the fact that Gallows has done that and have never, never heard of it. For Frank Carter, how he is now, the how he's looking at music and how he's portraying music and how he's making music, especially with the um, songwriting with, excuse me, Dean. They are already pushing boundaries of so for Blossom, pushed the Boundaries of Frank's Hardcore Roots, and then, um, oh, fuck. Modern Ruin, like, stretched Frank's previous experience with the more hard rock, alt rock sort of thing, and I genuinely do believe, given a few more albums... The songwriting duo of Dean Richardson and Frank Carter will be one of the modern day, like, strong partnerships of music. I just, the way they bounce, they apparently bounce off each other and the way they, like, experiment and collaborate together, I think they are going to be a real force in the songwriting world. And they're already touching on various different genres. They've already, like, done a bit of indie, they've already put a bit of bluesy sort of stuff, a lot of hard rock sort of things, obviously. So why don't they go one step further and go like a full symphonic rock number? I feel like a lot of songs in that back catalogue are already waiting for that orchestral backing. I think they'll sit quite well. When you've got um, Frank's vocal swells on songs like Lullaby, Snake Eyes and God Is My Friend, you could easily have like a string swell at the same time to really hammer home power of those vocal hooks and if you want more punchy frame sort of things a la uh master of puppets that kind of thing you've got real life you've got spray paint love you've got beautiful death and i think most of all i really want to hear a touching orchestral really delicate piece of music on the back of i hate you from blossom because i think that well, that's if you get a symphonic rock version of I Hate You by Frank Carlton Rousnaggs, I want that song to be playing while I'm lowered into the ground. That is how much I want to hear that. So, that was more outside of choice. The one that you guys suggested, and I'm kind of annoyed I didn't think about it before you, was Architect. And it, if modern day Bring the Horizon fits a symphonic rock sound, then... Architects would fucking destroy any, like, doubt or any, like, maybe... Holy Hell and all the God of bandas are bathed in that dramatic synth accompaniment. Um, and fucking hell, Holy Hell opens with a barrage of violins and then explodes into the Architects' metalcore sound. Uh, Deathwish has this big like synthy cloud hanging over the top of the entire song. The violin, synthy sounding, um, if, it was, if it was a guitar, i say um, chord progression. I don't go to the same same thing for a violin, but that progression of notes in Doomsday, that's what you want from a symphonic crossover. You don't want it just to play the guitar parts because that's just someone covering a song a different instrument. That's cool, but you know, it's... It's been done. What you want is for it to play alongside them and to accompany them, and to, in some cases, bolster them. You want it to be their own separate instrument. That's the whole point. But even as far back as Daybreaker, Architects were adding delays on vocal lines and guitars to add to, like, add layers to their sound. And the earliest part I could find where they're properly expensing. Ex- experimenting with a big synth sound akin to what's found on Holy Hell and all the of bands is on These Colors Don't Run. The chorus has got this big um, wall in the background which is just like a synthonic... I don't even know. It. I keep using the word swell purely because this is a style of music like the synth and the orchestra sort of stuff. It's not in my field of view when it comes to music. I like it from afar but I don't know the technicalities of it but that swell in the background just to add, to hold up the rest of the song to make it sound. Fucking huge. And whilst I was looking through, like, the argument f- for Architects, the one thing I found quite interesting was Will Harvey and the Parallax Orchestra, the guys who did the Live of the Royal Albert Hall album with Bring the Horizon, they are on holy hell. They contributed string compositions and oh, I don't know how far it goes. It just says Will Harvey Parallax strings. They have a, contributed to the Architect's sound. So you're pretty much halfway there. Just give them a bigger stage. Get everyone for Parallax in. And then you've got a fucking great time. Excuse me. Tea break. So yeah, those are our three. Rhapsody, Frank Carter, and then Architects. If there's anyone else you think would do well hit me up on the comment section or wherever it is you're listening to this from. Just send me hate mail, all's good. makes me feel like I'm not talking to myself, which I absolutely am. Cool, on to then, on to then? Sure. On to then, the album reviews for this week and we're going to start grumpy, so grumpy. This is Suicide King. It is the third album from King 810 all the way. Uh, Sorry, King 810, I believe they're officially called. Uh, They're from Flint, Michigan, and they are confrontational, controversial, new metal. And it'll be the first album without guitarist Andrew Beale or drummer Andrew Workman. This is a no andys club from now on. Uh, King 810 have always been quite an interesting band to me. Um, the debut album, Memoirs of a Murderer, was really aggressive and really confrontational. And it talked about. Uh, talking about murder, which has obviously been done a lot of time before, but it did it in a more personal point of view, which is something that I'm not really familiar with outside the world of death metal. To, sah- to hear it in, dare I say, a more commercial sound, like, I think, okay, you're not going to have this on, like, Top of the Pops or whatever, but maybe things like Scuzz, Rip. Kerrang, that kind of thing. And yeah, the album documented uh, the violence of Flint, Michigan. What's happening down up, up, up there? Up there. Over there, wherever they are. What's happening at the moment is fucking a travesty. Um, There's a lot of, obviously, like, personal point of view accounts of murder, violence, abuse, etc. And just the general hardships, hardships of, growing up in flint and immediately it drew them comparisons to bands like slipknot and corn and i understood slipknot more, more at the time corner him on this album which i'll get to in a bit and to me like someone made a very good point it can be quite dangerous to be associated with these kind of bands on your first album because with the internet being the way it is, and with metal fans being the way they are, it they are, it can be the cynicism creeping in of maybe they are being pushed by the label and not because they're actually any good. So, you, you know, I, personally I didn't think it was, I just thought they were a very explosive, new, edgy sound that we were like missing at the time. That's me personally. The sophomore album... Which is, ah, uh, part French. Uh, La petite mort, or a conversation with God. I think a, a Pied, La petite mort is um, a small death, something like that. I'm not 100% sure. Does that have a Google? It doesn't. Fucking great. So, yeah, with the um, conversation with God, I'll do the French part. Musically, they expand so much more, and I really enjoy this album musically. There's a lot more intimate hip-hop influences in there. You've got a song like I Ain't Going Back Again, which is a very dark, broody, gothic, doom-rap kind of song. And there's this really haunting synth on the chorus to Alpha and Omega. Um, again, with the, as I was before, with the Frank Carter thing, the vocal swales that... Um, I was gonna say Pete Gunn then, but I thought, no, nah, that's 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 fucking wrong. David Gunn, the execution he hasn't Alpha and Omega, and you've got this like almost synth cross with an old, like an old school church organ just in the background to really bolster his line. Cause he's not the strongest um vocalist there is. He does like the grunty, angry stuff well. But you know what I mean? He's just the bigger notes he struggles with, so I have that in the background, does exactly what symphonic music's meant to do, just gives it a bit of balls. But yet musically, I enjoyed Conversation with God. Lyrically, it was so repetitive. Everything, everything was guns or flint. And admittedly, Flint, Michigan is no picnic. It says Ever a charity case, or like a charity cause that pops up, and you like want to donate money to or whatever. Anything to do with Flint, Michigan, is the way to go because um, obviously, among other charities, of course. But they're apparently their own government's poisoning their water supply. They've had no clean running water. I think we're going on years now. It's been that long. They are just. I think Michigan in general is really struggling. I've heard bad stories about Detroit as well, but Flint. Is one of Like, you can list it on the number of cities that have just been forgotten by upper government, and it sounds fucking horrific there. And I couldn't understand why. I never really pay attention to this album's lyric unless it really, really takes me in. And I know there's lots of albums that I've got that all centre around one theme. That's the whole point of albums, they have themes around them. And I couldn't understand why. This whole thing about Guns and Flint, Michigan was annoying me compared to out like pop punk albums. where all this thing about is their girl from leaving them or this shitty hometown or whatever. And then the Riot Act podcast who do what I do so much better made a fucking great point. If you use, you use Love an example. Lots of bands, like I said, talk about Love. A lot of pop punk bands do it. Emo do it. Even metal bands do it. Everyone sings songs about love. But that's because love as a concept is more more widely known and more widely understood. It's more relatable. There's more, like lyrically, if you're on the other side and you're writing songs about love, there's more to work with because there's so many different angles and things that are happening around it. Whereas Guns and Flint, Michigan, they're so much more niche. Like fair play, I'm interested to find out if... As a heavy metal fan who's into guns with this album more appeals to them because they know what it's like to hold a gun, shoot a gun, whatever. And for people who are have spent time in Flint Michigan, is it better is this is King eight one oh good to them because they understand more about what they're referencing? You know what I mean? It's like with all the, this song like Wonder Years, for example, they've got like the Greatest Generation is all about um ex-girlfriends, depression, hometown, and on various different levels, it's so much more relatable, and you can understand what they're going through, and what it, or what they're talking about, as opposed to a white boy from the middle of England, I don't have a fucking clue how a gun works, or what it's like to beat the shit out of someone, or to not have running water, cis white male patriarchy for the win, yo. Excuse me. Um, So, yeah. I probably should edit out tea breaks, but fuck you. Where does that leave us with Suicide King, then? So, the album opens with a song that sounds like a good Mushroomhead song, which still makes it shit because it's Mushroomhead. Um, And the opening lyric to that, which I haven't got written down anywhere, but the way he... Says it where he speaks it. Makes it sound like he's going for... like Auditioning for the role as Joker in an ex-DC film. Uh, next actual proper song, Braveheart. I'm pretty sure that was the first song released for the album. Initially, I thought it was kind of boring. I just thought it was like the very a very bog-standard King Win song. It didn't really do anything for me. It's grown on me a lot more recently. But yeah, just... It, it didn't do anything new, which is what, when it's a lead single from a new album, even if the rest of the song is going to be pretty much par for the course, you want that first song to be catchy and memorable, which I didn't think Braveheart was, but there we go. And moves on to... like The first half of the album doesn't massively go outside of what King Abel is known for. So that includes Braveheart. You've got a song called Bang Guns, which I've described as tap-out core. The lyrics to it are fucking just bro-do-bro-yo. You scared of gunshots, boy. Pussy boy. Wanna run and tell the cops, boy. Pussy boy. I'm a real Don Dada, boy. Pussy boy. Shot us coming out that Glock, boy. Pussy boy. I need Google Translate for that one. But then it goes on to say, I'm a real rude boy. I don't ever run. I don't... Oh, fuck me. I'm a real rude boy. I don't ever run. I only touch hands with boys whose hands squeeze guns. Really don't like how much he uses the word boy in that lyric, but you know what I mean? It's very man, dude, bro, at the gym, protein, dude, bro, women are there to be fucked kind of mentality. is just... It's just... And yeah, I can't... I can't unread the. I don't ever run. I only touch hands with boys whose hands squeeze guns. It's... Just... <laughs> Icky. Uh, anyway, moving on, please, to A Million Dollars. A Million Dollars is actually a really fucking good song. Um, I like the fact that you um, a sample in the chorus. I don't know where the samples come from. That's uh, probably something that would have been a smart thing to... Do a Google of, but never mind. And I feel like it's got it's closer to hip-hop than it is to metal, and that's not a bad thing. My Horizon is gonna tell us all about how it's not a bad thing later. But it's actually in so Million Dollars is like the best of the first half. It's actually the second half of the album where the hip hop elements really become prominent, and that's when the album is at its best. So your song like What's Got Into Me? It's a very Basic synth-led rap that adds like a spoopy layer that 810, fuck, 810 really crave um, with pianos on the chorus. It's got like a little piano interlude at the start, every chorus it's there, it's just almost like it's pl- it's bringing the song together, which is where there's like little bits here and there. Black Rifle, almost is like this like slow, easy, like Louisiana blues kind of a feel it even has like an organ led chorus which I'm finding out I'm really liking organs right now and then the hip-hop element of King 8 Winnowa continues for the next three songs so God is watching way in the water and sing me to sleep and like I said the second half of the album from track 6 to track 10 that is when this album is at its best but lyrically the entire album is still all about guns for fuck's sake They've even, like, cut down on the Flint references. Even they've forgotten about Flint, Michigan. They're fucking from there. It's boring. It's so dull to hear the same song over and over again, just with different musical composition. If a sound... I've really been blagging me to how much I... I'm so aware of how much these guys sing about guns, but I'm not so aware about how other bands sing about the same thing over and over again. If bands sing about politics, that is a subject that is constantly changing. You've got Brexit, you've got Trump, you've got North Korea, you've got Russia, you've got Syria, you've got... I only found out about France fucking this morning. If you want to talk about war, there is a thousand and one different perspectives from a war-based point of view. And there's a thousand and one different wars you could sing from. I listened to an album last week, the Rome album. Musically, it sounds like it should be... uh, Like... King Richard the Third, or some like horseback, sword, chainmail, yeah. When they're singing all about like World War One, and then conversely, you got um, bands that are like got a real industrial edge, like the first half of the 20th century, where it should you think, oh, it's World War One, it's World War Two. No, they're going back in time and singing about the old Celtic wars or whatever. Look at any folk music from the Scandinavian region; they've got old Norse war folk tales in there. There's so much you can do with just the themology of war. If you don't want to talk about love, is it going good? Is it going bad? How? Why? There's lots of dopey metaphors and songs that, about love and they exist because we need emos to exist. That's what fuels them. And obviously there must be a lot because there's a lot of fucking emos. Death. Death is such this is a, such a death heavy album which is completely fine. If you want to make a song, an album all about the different varieties of death that is fine. But it just balances between him getting a hard-on for murdering people and then him crying because people keep murdering his friends last year architects released an album almost exclusively talking about death and no two songs are alike i even went through it you've got songs about when excuse me when even sam dies like from both perspective what it the people he leaves behind, what are they going to think? What are they going to do? How are they going to feel when he dies? What is he going to do? Is there an afterlife? What does he do? Like, he even sings about the uh, process of being, I am alive, I am dead. That it, that split second between dead and alive. He sings about that that split second in a song. He talks about how obviously with um, circumstances around Tom, he talks about that. He talks about what life is like after that. It's so possible to have an album centred around one thing and make it interesting the entire way through. And you want, like, David Gunn wants to be this hard-faced, hard-nosed, um, almost bully of a man who's gone through shit and now he's trying to make it for himself. And that's absolutely fine. But for fuck's sake, if you're as interesting as you think you are, make the music interesting as well. Or make the lyrics, sorry, interesting as well. The music side of the thing, you've got things down. Like, honestly, um, Conversation With God musically I really enjoy. This musically I'm really, really digging. Especially the second half where you do have the more hip-hop stuff coming through as opposed to the more metal stuff coming through. But I'm pretty sure I've heard the lyric pulled out my Glock and pulled it on someone. About three times every single King 810 album. You know, God fucking damn man. If like, I feel bad now, because I've got to say, like, if you if you enjoy X Y Z, you'll in, might enjoy this. If this is the first time you're gonna go into 810, I think like the Slipknot comparisons exist there for a reason. It's very confrontational, it's very edgy, it's very aggressive new metal. So if you like that new, that Slipknot sound from any era, you'll enjoy King, of no, you'll enjoy Suicide King. Um, when it goes a bit more dark and gothic-y, I think suits, uh, modern day Korn more. So if you enjoy like the last, ignoring Paradigm Shift, last like three Korn albums, I think you'll really go for this. Also, I've got a lot of comparisons to Cane Hill as well and Lesser, more uh, second album which i reviewed a couple of weeks ago too far gone um more of that as opposed to the debut because there's a lot less um there's not uh, there's a lot less the industrial side of things aren't as in your face in the second kane Hill album and and this is more in suicide King is more just like the hip-hop Sampling as opposed to full industrial, so yeah. Slipknot corn cane hill. If you take away the lyrics, this is a really good album musically, but I just can't get past the lyrics. And see, so yeah, that's Suicide King by King no, King 180, not 810. I've just read it's not 810. Moving on to something completely fucking different. It is the surprise release, the surprise 12th release, if you can believe it. I oh, know I can't. For LA Power Pop Veterans and Legends Weezer. It is another one of their self-titled albums. This one is being dubbed the Teal Album. And it is an album comprising of various cover songs, mostly from the 70s and 80s, with a couple of 60s and one no scrubs. Um Literally all that came with this album was a Facebook post saying, surprise, guess we just dropped a new album. No, it's not the black album, that's still coming on March the 1st. Here's the Teal album to hold you over until then. And I think it's safe to say Weezer have fully embraced their memeage over the past few years. You know, um, it started with the internet's desire for Weezer to cover Africa by Toto. Fucking who knows why, but you know, it's played in Beer Keller a lot. And from there, it's apparently fucking spiraled to so now, Weezer are sort of like going into business for themselves and now making a full covers album. Like, fuck knows if this was meant to happen or not. But, like, there's been two sides of the coin people praising and people criticizing how self aware it is in their own status in the modern meme world. And personally, I can't decide if Weezer have been very clever or Weezer have been very dull to choose the songs that they have, because a lot of these songs cater to the iconic Weezer sound. And, you know, covers albums are hard. Do you rearrange a song to fit your sound, to completely, like, rewrite it so that it fits you more than it does them? Or do you honour the original and just put your... Um, keys and your distortion or whatever over the top of the original notes and original tablature and i think this has gone I, for the bulk of the album i think they are honoring honoring the original more but I, again like i said i think that just suits the Weezer sound more so you've got songs like everybody wants to rule the world happy together mr blue sky if you gave, if you sat someone down who'd never listened to Weezer before, and just put them in a room and played ten songs, and put this, these three songs in there, no one would be able to tell you that they weren't originally Weezer songs. Weezer songs. Like without context, people, I honestly think people would think they're just normal Weezer songs compared to the rest of the back catalogue. Songs like um, Africa, Take on Me, Stand by Me, they really, really suit. Rivers Cuomo vocally, uh, he hasn't lost a fucking step, has he? He does look old as fucking balls on the cover, and he's the only person I know who, if you take off his glasses, he actually looks older. But he, him vocally, he's just—he sounds exactly the same as he does when they started in the nineties. And when I was listening to before, when I said about um, the guitar stepping in for a song. They got... um, They did a cover of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. And they got the guitarist Brian Bellin to do the vocals. And he fucking nails it. Like, he's got the Aussie cowl down to an absolute T. And the whole song has such a fucking sweet guitar tone. It's so crunchy. It's so... um, Just really hammers home the song. Like, just for the guitar tone alone, I love that song. And... That might just be the essence of Black Sabbath, what made them popular in the first place, but who knows. With everyone going nuclear for Africa, the song of the country. Like it's it was a song that got played in nightclubs a lot, it's one play it's played at beer killers throughout the country pretty much every night. And people know all the words. I have a friend who can't stand the song. I'm starting to get that way because the song is everywhere. Why is it then that not a single person that I have seen has gone absolutely fucking bananas over the fact that they've covered no scrubs by a TLC? Like like I said, Weezer are fully going into their like memeage now. They're completely baffled the fan base fan base in the lead up to the black album, which is the one that's coming out in March. Um, the album cover for the black album. They're all donned in leather dominatrix albums, uh, lo- uh, dominatrix suits. No one has flinched at this. No one has flinched at the um, leather suits. No one has flinched at no scrubs. I just, what? Bought... No one, no one, no one cares, and I don't understand why. It's such a fucking bonkers choice of song. It did, and it took this version of the song. For me to discover the scientific definition of a scrub. Which also leads me to believe that for the 90s. I think the original version of this came out in 1999. TLC. The members of TLC had some fucking high standards for the late 90s. If you go and listen or read the lyrics to the song. You'll see that. Yeah they were fucking. You're not allowed to. Admittedly. The man in question. Um. He still lives with home with his parents, he hasn't got that much money, or blah 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 blah. I'm like, okay, not everyone can be fucking loaded, Mrs Lucy Longlegs Tear Eyes or Chili, I think the other one I can't remember the names. The t and the l- and the sir. Like, okay he lives with his parents. Okay he like hangs out with his mate who drives him around. We all have a friend that we like piggyback lifts off of. Living with parents, he might just not have any money. But obviously, he does have any money. Else he'd have a place for his own. If you try to get a job, they're not that fucking easy. Just fuck off, TLC. I saw you release an album a couple of years ago, thinking you could do a comeback. Fucking no. I feel like I don't need to say if you like XYZ, you'll like this album. Because I think at this point, everyone has heard of Weezer, everyone has heard of fucking Africa. And everyone just knows exactly what to expect. So, yeah. Weezer, the new album. They'll be back later this year, around March time. When are we looking at the Black Album? Because the White Album was great. This is okay. The uh, Fever Daydream, I think it was called, was very mediocre. But because this is a self-titled Weezer album, the rule is, if it's named as Weezer, it gonna be good. So, yeah. Black Album later, but for now, Teal Album. Go check it out, because it's Fucking maddening. And let me know what people think of the No Scrubs cover. Because honestly, I feel like I'm the only one who's realised it's there. Fuck. Now. Dare I say the main event for this evening. It is album six from the Sheffield Death Corps turned pop. Which is the weird thing to so say, loud. Death on pop with many stops in between, it is Bring Me The Horizon with Ammo. And f- straight off the bat, I will happily admit that I wasn't expecting much from Ammo. Like I said, I wasn't a big fan of That's a Spirit. Honestly, I think There Is A Hell and Semper Eternal survive as one of the best modern metalcore albums ever. I've... Happily say ever Especially Um It dawned on me The other day That By the end of 2019 People won't just be doing End of year Lists They'll be doing End of decade lists Which has terrified me greatly But other than that There is a hell And Sempaternal Will at least be spoken about For me When I come to do My end of End of decade list That's how much I like those albums so that was, and then when like I, with Semper going a, a lot more like the synthy sort of stuff, when That's the Spirit came out and they went full on in with those like electro synthy sounds. T break. I was, I'll happily say I was taken aback at first, and but the first few singles made me hopeful. A lot more pop sound, very much stepping away from Semper but good and nonetheless. But overall. After those bright uh, bro, after those bright moments from songs like "Drown" and Throne and then eventually "Avalanche," I just wasn't a fan of that spirit at all. I thought it was ultimately quite bland. Um, and based on that, and each of the things that came out in preparation for "Ammo," "Mantra," I thought was good. I thought it was a better stopgap um, between "Sentimental" and "That's a Spirit" than. Uh, was it Drown back then was the stopgap between them? I thought he did a lot better job but if it were to do that part. A lot more new metal and played a lot more on the electrics and let Ollie sort of like play around with vocals a little bit more. Similar sort of thing to Wonderful Life. Um, a lot more new metal sound, which what I think that's the spirit hit on more. And it fucking... The music videos to that is just i don't even know i just i'm gonna move along medicine initially i hated this song i thought it was really really bland to the point where how much i didn't like it made me like wonderful life even more and someone described medicine perfectly to me as they described it as edgy maroon five yeah and then from there it was mother tongue And all I kept thinking was the 1975 are calling and they're suing because it just carbon copy of that. Admittedly, I'd never even heard of 1975, well I knew of 1975 before but I don't think I'd ever consciously listen to their songs. As it turns out, I have because I'm on the radio all the fucking time. And honestly, if you put Mother Tongue in a Spotify playlist of 1975 songs, I would not initially have been able to pick it out of the field. I would have thought everything was 1975 and just shot myself in the head. And then the last song was *Nihilist Blues*, which I just didn't even know fucking know what to do with. Like it only came out a couple of days, oh, the day before the album came out. I was just sat there. I just, I can't take it in. I can't do it. I want to lay down. So yeah, on the back of *Dazzle Spirit* and all the singles that came out, especially the progression of them, I wasn't confident. But this album has definitely brought me around it's not a full 180 i still have my gripes which i'll get to but overall i really enjoy ammo i'll happily say i was completely wrong um mantra is still a really really strong song i think vocally ollie sykes is at his best on this song it is a great bridge between Honestly, I think it fits more at home on "That's the Spirit" because that gap between "Sent Paternal" and "That's the Spirit," I think this would have done a lot better job instead of throwing people straight in the deep end. Um, but yeah, Ollie gets a chance to do his more singing kind of vocal, um, like singing vocals. In the choruses, he can still have that little rumble to throw. He's got a scream there as well. I think this is very much an Oli song. I am now completely sold on Nihilist Blues. It is a massive electro pop song. And the drop rivals any breakdown Bring Me have ever done. And I can already picture it in nightclubs. um, Soundtracking the exchange of the clap and ketamine. I think it's a fucking wonderful song. I'll happily say it's completely wrong about Nile's Blues. Um, annoyingly, someone pointed out how much In the Dark sounds like 21 Pilots. And I think that's completely spot on, which is even more surprising the fact that I really like In the Dark. And I thought the last 21 Pilots song was utter crap. Weirdly enough, The Wonderful Life has really gone down for me. I now think it's one of the weaker songs. It feels like it could be again more home on the lesser end of "That's the Spirit," um, and yeah, I just I don't know what it is. Like I've had I've said about it to friends at work, and I can't put my finger on why it is. But I just thought it's kind of bland now. Um, it does make me it makes me so erect knowing that when this inevitably gets played in the nightclub, it's like, hey guys, this is the edgy song. Woo, rock music. It makes me happy that nightclubs will now indirectly be putting Danny Filth on the stereo. And at the middle of the song where everyone's bopping along, you're going to have this full-on black metal shriek of Danny Filth soundtracking the biggest nightclubs. And yeah, I'll happily say, I can't wait for that. I might peruse nightclubs just to wait for this moment and then go home again. Uh, we'll need a lot of money to do it and a lot of patience, but it will be done. And we're... Wonderful Life has gone down. Medicine has shot up. Um, There's certain guitar parts in there that remind me of the quiet part on it at Varen's, And it'll be easy to figure out why I recognise that like plinky-plonky guitar sound. Maroon 5 wish. Wish, especially on the back of that Super Bowl thing. They wish they could write anything half as interesting as Medicine and that then brings me to the absolute star of the show, which is Sugar, Honey, Ice and Tea. The song is 14 years too late for that Madagasc- Madagascar reference. Also, Madagascar came out 14 years ago. Time waits for no one. We're all going to die in of viz- inevitable gaze. But this song is fucking incredible. It bounces so flawly between styles, both vocally and musically. It, is a, it does everything pop music is supposed to do. That huge chorus that will get stuck in your head. Um, it keeps it interesting during the verses. It has like a lot more of a rocky verse to it. And then it is a full on sampled or autotuned or vocal play in the chorus. I fucking adore that song. Um, and the bit that got me most interested was the last song on the album. Uh, which is I don't know what to say. For whatever reason, this song doesn't stick in my head at all. Like I don't know why, but when it gets when the album gets to heavy metal, as soon as that song finishes, I cut off. I don't know why, but it just happens. But I think it's really interesting the fact that with the work they've done with um, Parallax for the um, Live at the Royal Albert Hall show, and I've just realised that they are in this, but don't mind. Well, the work that they did with Parallax, it's now influenced, I don't know what to say. And the fact that in, i have like, just read the additional person now, that, it's got Parallax Orchestra as like an orchestra part at the bottom. It makes sense that the work they did with, for, well, and the Royal whole Show, for collaborating their old songs with the new Symphonic Sound, which has gone on before. They've now written a song specifically for that purpose. So I don't know what to say to me is the Bremen horizon version of minus human or um fuck! no leaf clover it's gonna no holds bar that's complete that's something completely different that's the rest getting out yeah no leaf clover or minus human there's like the comparative song um written wise if that makes sense I kind of butchered that um, sentence there. I lost my train of thought, and I forgot what the song was called. It happens a lot. I forget things. I'm dumb. The reason why it's not a complete 180, in my opinion, is a lot of the lyrics on this album are completely fucking dog shit. Like Heavy metal, I'll happily say, it's fucking annoyingly catchy. Me and my, uh, a friend of mine at work listened to it at work. And we it got stuck in the head for the entire shift and was all we could like mumble to each other for about four hours. It is it, it's great, it's a good song. It's annoying how catchy it is. And it's trying to be ultra metal with him having a go at the people who think it's shit that they're not a hashtag metal band anymore. But lyrically, it's so paper thin. It's so tacky and it's so plastic. Like, because a kid on the gram in the Black Dahlia tank says it ain't heavy metal and that's all right. First of all, fucking balls to try and, like, go after Black Dahlia. Or Black Dahlia murder. Trevor Sternard is not the kind of dude you want to piss off. He is... He looks like a Viking. Because all he does is, like, take a shot off, drink beer and shout at people. And he also fronts Black Dahlia murder. It's just... It's the edgy... You want an edgy song against fans and the critics who have, like, kind of gone after you and gone after your sound. You've got that in Why You Gotta Keep Me When I'm Down. Like, because lyrically, that song antagonizes those who've tried to get in the way of Oli Sykes' personal life. That song fucking slams. It's really good. The lyrics in it are really good. This is just fucking shit. The random bit of Portuguese and mother tongue to try and sound interesting fuck off, mate. You are some muppet from Sheffield. You are not, like... If you had a whole song in Portuguese, fair enough. The fact that your album name is Portuguese, kind of annoying, but I'll allow it. To random put-in. Oh, what is it? What is it? Is so, um... Is it Don't Try and Love Me, Fala Ammo? Which, whatever it is, um, I end up looking at Follow um, Fala Am- well, Ammo means love, Oops. Fala Ammo means to talk about love. Oh, no, that was it. It's, don't say you love me, falla Ammo. So, falla Ammo means to talk about love. So, the lyrics basically, don't say you love me when you're trying to talk about love. Which, my puny, forever alone brain can't wrap my head around. But, uh, weird noises. It just, uh, it's just, it's just shit, isn't it? It's just a bit shit. And as much as I enjoy... Medicine, as much as that song has grown on me over the past uh, few weeks of listening, some people are a lot like Cloud, you know, because life is so much brighter when they go. Garen fucking teed that lyric is somewhere swimming around on Instagram next to a picture of a minion, and it's been shared and exchanged by mums. I'm fully expecting my mums like post that on Instagram imminently eminently, and you think this is the same guy who lyrically wrote go to hell for heaven's sake it never ends don't go crucify me can you feel my heart realize a lot of those songs from there is a hell there is hell's really good don't you know but my fucking god he's so much better than this why are lyrics this week so shitting on me <laughs> i don't like it either way like i said i really enjoyed ammo if you can ignore the shitty lyrics that I made a big fuss on There are a lot of good lyrics in this album, I have to say. Um, it's just like, and like I said, even the sh- when they really shit like heavy metal, that song will ingrain yourself like a fucking worm inside, just constantly over and over again until you inevitably die. And that's a great thing. Or I would say, that's all right. I miss my cue. If you enjoy, I feel like everyone at this point has heard Ammo. It's just reached number one on Billboard, I think they said. Something mad like that. I guess. Nope, it's not this anyway. Anyway, it's gone number one somewhere. Very, very important. I remember that. I think it's the UK number one, I want to say. Fuck it. I think that everyone at this point has heard it. Everyone at this point has at least heard that's the spirit. But if you do need any comparisons. Because it is a massive difference to what they used to do. Monday, Lake Oh, fucking hell. Modern day Lincoln Park. Monday, Shikari. I even going kind to of compare this to Charlie XCX. Because her... That last album. Which it had Boom Clap on it. I can't remember what it's called. Yup. It was super electro poppy. And it had a lot of rock bits in. Which is what Ammo is. It's super electro poppy. With some rock bits in. I think there's a bit of a co- like crossover there so yeah linker park shikari charlie xcx if you like them you look like the modern interpretations of them i feel like you will definitely go for ammo by the horizon album number six and apparently the brima horizon we have now it's really weird There used to be big hair fringes and now they are weaponized top shop bs Either way, that is everything for this week. Uh, reviews on Kickman Oh, Wait, Oh, I don't know why I'm really struggling with that. Weezer and Bring the Horizon. If you have any more suggestions on which bands should perform with orchestral backing, do get in touch. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. All at... Um. Desolation Pod. Forgot my train of thought. And... some point this weekend, I'm going to be releasing... The next album I'm going to do for Open Mic. That's coming back. Because I will have definitely remembered this time. And I've already got it scheduled to come out at some point. I just can't remember which day I put it on. So it's definitely coming no matter what I want. So until next week. Which is hopefully be back to Wednesday. I will see you soon. Goodbye.